You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. Reason and Faith, Their Methods, Their Consequences, Their Relationship, by Tara Smith. So, I am speaking on faith and reason. Objectivism champions reason as man's fundamental means of knowing the world, of learning anything, of building anything. Objectivists are hardly alone in using reason, right? Each of us got here this weekend probably by planes, trains, or automobiles, which are products of pretty sophisticated reasoning. We take medicines to improve our health. We use science and technology, or I'm sorry, science, technology, even something like conference planning. These obviously rely on reason as a matter of course. And yet, and yet, Many people would say, yeah, reason, good thing. You need reason. You need some reason to get through life. But that's not the whole story. You also need something further. Sometimes you just have to believe, right? She said on Easter Sunday, okay? He, he rose from the dead. Good trick. Um, about some things, a lot of people would say, you know, about love or about meaning or about goodness. You just know not via reason, ultimately these are matters of faith. We have to acknowledge reason's limits. This is a very prevalent view. This view, I think, is fatal. As Ayn Rand observed in her journals, and this is on the top of the handout on page three, as she observed of those who would simply limit reason, that's enough to do the damage, uh, big time, okay? So my subject today is the superiority of reason and the absolutism of reason, how the choice is reason or faith, one or the other. And I also hope to convey that the default of reason through this kind of compromise, well, you know, we need a little of both, that's killing us. Fudging the alternative between reason and faith is not benign or harmless. When we dismiss reason, I'm sorry, when we diminish reason, we diminish our lives, our capacity to secure the things that make our lives safe, enjoyable, good, happy. So again, I've given you on the handout an outline, very simple outline. I'm going to set the table by simply defining some of the pivotal concepts here. Then I'll talk about why reason is the superior method. And then I'll engage with this view, the kind of fudgy view that says, well, we should follow both of these things to some extent, right? All I can do today is very suggestive, just indications to give you more to think about. But I do hope to say enough to get you to appreciate that compromising, you know, just, well, just compromising on reason a little bit, that really does cost us, okay? So the pivotal concepts, reason and faith, what are they? What are we talking about here? Um, Ayn Rand, in her ethics, writes, and again, some of these, as well as some others, are on the handout, okay? Rand, reason is the faculty that identifies and integrates the material provided by man's senses. The elements of reasoning, according to Dr. Peikoff, as he puts it at one point, are the senses, concepts, logic, faith, on the other hand. What's faith? Faith, belief in the absence of evidence. 
Now, while the primary connotations that the word faith has for most of us, I think, are religious, don't think of faith as exclusively in that application, religion, okay? Even when we are far removed from the church pews and kneeling before candles, we encounter many secular exertions of faith. So my concern is not with faith in any particular creed, you know, or this God or something like that, but faith as a method, as a way of believing or knowing, okay? So a few passages. St. Paul, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, i.e., to hell with the senses, right? The conviction of things not seen. Tertullian, an early church father, quote, it is by all means to be believed because it is absurd. In other words, to hell with logic. Augustine, the authority of scripture is greater than all human ingenuity, to hell with man's mind. I mean, that's what these things are saying, right? And I've given you several other passages that I'm not going to read, but you might want to peruse some of those later. Most of them are on faith, a few of them on reason or what's wrong with faith. Okay. When you scratch the surface, what you find is that faith is a form of emotionalism. The objects of faith are things that a person believes essentially because he'd like to believe them. He wants to. He feels better that way safer, it's more pleasing, less worrisome to believe in these things. Faith is willful. It evinces the attitude, I want to believe this, therefore, it's true. Whatever the it in question is, oh, I can afford this expensive bike that I really can't afford, right? Or uh, those moles, they're not a sign of anything. I don't have to get them checked out at the doctor, no. She's not really cheating on me. You know, that, that couldn't be the case. I have faith in her. Another way of putting this is to say, faith means whatever. Whatever I'd like to believe, as opposed to what I have good reason to believe. So let me return to reason for a minute to clarify a couple of things. Reason is not a set of answers. It's not a formula. It's a faculty that you can exercise. Reasoning is an activity that you can engage in or not. To respect reason is to deliberately follow its guidance so that your thinking adheres to evidence and logical inference. Notice, follow, you know, we, we speak a lot of following reason. Following reason is not merely, well, you glance at the facts like you glance at the shop windows as you're walking down the avenue or something, right? It's not sprinkling a few facts over your discussion of an issue to just create the atmosphere of fact and reason. No, if you follow reason, that is your guide. Or facts, evidence, logic, those are your guide. They steer your thinking to think further about this issue or that question that occurred to you and to dismiss that one because you have evidence to think that's not really a viable uh, question or valid question. So again, if you follow reason, it is reason. It is uh, the evidence of the senses. It is logic that is guiding you. you. It's governing what you do with your mind. Also note, I think many of us realize this, but sometimes uh, we forget. 
Using reason doesn't make you infallible. Even when you're using it conscientiously, you can make mistakes. We do, right? But reason is the mental method that's dedicated to finding out the way things are. It's reality tracking. That's its aim, reality, knowing reality, and that's its method, adherence to reality, so that what I know, the conclusion at the end of the process, is the way things are, okay? So, number three on the handout, the superiority of reason. Why is reason the better way? Why be rational? I'm trying to go a little quickly because we lost a little time with this, this thing. But you're okay? You're doing okay in terms of... I'm not going too fast. Okay. Why be rational? Because reason points you to facts, to what is so, and to what you need to know to act constructively, to solve problems, to make life better. The reward for following reason is understanding reality. Caring about reason means caring about knowledge, about gaining an accurate understanding of the world around you. Reason is our primary reality tracker, or fact finder, you might say, right? It's a truth hunter. In essence, the reason to care about reason is that that you want to know the way things are. You want to know what's what. From another angle, you could say, the reason to take reason seriously, or the reason to reason is, now this is another more fundamental level, is the primacy of existence. E, primacy of existence. Thinking does not make things so. What a thing is, is impervious to human beings' beliefs, or wishes, or votes, right? If I have a tumor, I have a tumor, right? If I have a huge credit card debt, I do have that huge credit card debt, right? If my girlfriend is cheating on me, she is. If I'm to come to know what's what and what I have to work with or battle against to make my way successfully, I have to use reason. So again, let's be clear about what reason does not offer. It doesn't make you infallible, as we said, right? It's people, individuals who use reason or not, and people make mistakes even when they're trying to follow reason. We overlook something that's pertinent sometimes, or we draw a hasty uh, generalization, or we fail to grasp a certain logical impl implication, okay? But don't knock reason, as people often do, for the errors that people sometimes make in using it. Notice, reasoning is the only way to even identify the mistakes that we make and then correct them, okay? We're using reason even to do that. Nor am I saying, so just still in the clarifying business, nor do I mean to say that if only we were all rational, we would all reach the same conclusions and all our differences would dissolve. No, agreement on the proper method, saying rationality is the fundamental you know, a way we should use our minds. Agreement on the proper method leaves a lot of work to be done in applying that to any specific issue. How to raise your children, you know, uh, how to do all sorts of things. But abandoning reason makes finding the truth on an issue impossible. You're not going to get it if you don't use reason, okay? Let me go a little bit deeper into this, though. Dig down a further layer. A few minutes ago, I asked something like, why be rational? Why is reason the better way? Why be rational? What's the advantage? 
What's the gain? And I answered, knowledge of reality. Well, why should we care about that? I'll answer by way of illustration, and it's a somewhat somber illustration. So, okay, this is not uh, pleasant territory, but it's a way of making the point. When a person dies, uh, doctors must record an official cause of death. I would imagine this is the case in most countries. It certainly is in, in many, many countries, right? And there are certain designations, and some of the doctors here can tell us exactly what they are, right? But there's an official recording of what was the cause of death, things like cerebral hemorrhage or cardiac arrest, septicemia, okay? Beyond the specific medical categories that one would choose from based on the evidence, you know, in the given case, though, historically, there's often been a broader cause of death. Ignorance. People died of ignorance. Or other times of irrationality. We didn't know how to treat the ailment. We did not know, right? We were ignorant of how to treat that ailment. Even the medical specialists. So we tried bloodletting, right? Or mercury for certain things, or heroin for certain things. Or sometimes we didn't even yet know what exactly the ailment was, right? The history of medicine is a merciless march of people dying from afflictions that we later learned to diagnose or to prevent in some cases or to treat or sometimes to cure. To goddamn cure that sucker. That's pretty damn good. That is pretty damn good. I mean, polio, uh, yellow fever, tetanus, rabies, smallpox, whooping cough, measles, AIDS, before we realized how to combat these things, to the extents, differing extents that we can, these and many other things, people died because of no treatment or wrong treatment. Knowledge helps us live. Ignorance at certain stages along history is understandable. Gaining knowledge takes work and dedication. And a lot of the most useful knowledge builds on previous knowledge incrementally, slowly, okay? So a lot of ignorance historically is understandable, but today we increasingly see willful ignorance, people choosing to turn away from reason. Oh, I'm going to pray on it. Or if I give it a few days, I'll get a sign from the universe of what the answer is here. That's not understandable. And that's got to be called out for the poison that it is. It's a betrayal of life. It's like saying, I don't want the medicine. I don't want the cure. So, four, how are we doing here? If that alarmed you, my face, then I, I misread. See, I told you I'm bad with math while I'm speaking. Some people can't walk and speak. Some people can't do math and speak. We have all sorts of disabilities, but, you know, anyway. Okay, part four. The usual response to the alternative between reason and faith is the protest that I was suggesting at, at the very beginning of the talk. Well, why not a combination? Take the best from both. No one's against reason. We're just saying we need faith, too. Not only reason. Don't rule anything out. Or people will often chirp, uh, reason is part of the solution, but the choice is not either or. 
and they'll point to scientists who believe in God, as many do, right? Certain things are matters for the heart, not the head. This response can be seductive because it seems kind of nice and friendly and it keeps the peace, you know, it seems mild and open-minded, unthreatening. But it isn't unthreatening. It's a form of evasion and no good can come of it. It's destructive. To see this, a couple of thoughts. Knowledge does not abide to masters. If a person, in his thinking about some issue, is attempting to serve two agendas, such as being logical and being likable, the second will undercut the first. That which is likable and that which is logical, or that which logic dictates on a given issue, those can diverge. On certain issues, they usually do diverge, right? Think about how popular the objectivist stance on money or capitalism is or on selfishness, right? I mean, it's not going to make you the most likable guy at the office if you spout the most logical views, right? A person must make up his mind as to which will govern his thinking. Am I trying to figure out what position really is logical here? What the evidence shows? Or am I trying to do all of that and at the same time not alienate these friends or these colleagues? I think that many of us sometimes fall into doing the latter. Now, it's not that we consciously think, oh, reason be damned, I just want to be loved. No, I don't think you know, a lot of us consciously think that. But we sometimes curb our logic on an issue by considerations in the back of our mind, like, oh my God, but if I say that, I'll sound like a Neanderthal, right? Or, um, ooh, if they hear me agreeing with him, they'll think I've lost it. And it's not only, I think, even subconscious kind of projections of what this person or those people will think. Sometimes it's like, I don't want to hear myself thinking that. It's like, oh my God. That's a little scary. Have you ever had this experience? Like, you find your reasoning going down a certain lane, and you pull back because there's a part of you that doesn't want to, you know, that doesn't like where that may lead. So again, it's not that we, oh yeah, you know, I just want to be loved or liked, but it's like, well, that can get in the way of our really sticking to the reasoning, I think, sometimes. The thing to notice is that a standard of likability, even if it's, you know, self-like, let alone others liking you, standard of likability is an emotionalist standard. It allows the feeling of fitting in or of maintaining a comfortable image or even self-image. It allows that feeling to override your use of logic. But when logic is subordinated to feelings, logic is useless. That's important to grasp, I think. It's not that logic has some value in such a case. Rather, if logic is abandoned mid-course because you don't like where it seems, you don't like, like, right, the emotion. I don't like where that seems to be leading. Then you wasted your time, any time that you might have spent investigating an issue logically, right? If you reason about an issue for a while, gathering evidence, interrogating it, checking on how it fits with other information, but you don't see it through to its logical conclusion. If instead you cut it off arbitrarily declaring enough, right, and adopt a conclusion on, non on a non-rational basis, then what good is all that initial reasoning? 
All the effort that went into it, what did it get you? If it's aborted in the end because you didn't like the conclusions that you were glimpsing, then reasoning is a charade. It's not a commitment. It's not a discipline. It's not the principle by which you are governing your life. And you're not going to gain knowledge by such a pretended use of it, such a partial use of it. Contrary to the claim of reasons, moderates, the fudgers, whatever you want to call them, this policy of, you know, the people who propose, oh, no, it's logic and or reason and. No, that kind of logic or reason and something else, that's not logic. That's not reason. Logic, as long as it stays within my comfort zone. No, that's the rejection of logic or reason. And I'm just using those two interchangeably today, okay? Logic, reason, does not abide a co-captain. It can have allies, it can have auxiliaries, but not partners. Logic is not inclusive, not of the contradictory, not inclusive of the arbitrary or any form of faith. To blend reason's authority with anything other than reason is to bury reason. Consumer product warning. Governance by reason can take you out of your comfort zone. It's not recommended for those with allergies uh, to disagreement or who suffer from controversy intolerance. It's not for the faint of heart. Again, let's drill a little bit further into this. To grasp the difference between reason and its alternatives, faith, I think it's helpful to pose the question, when you're thinking about an issue, what are you doing with your mind? What are you actually doing with your mind? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you using your mind to feel a certain way so that you end up feeling a certain way? Make yourself feel better about something? For example, somebody's telling you something, giving you some information, and you begin to feel disturbed in some way. You begin to feel worried, maybe, because of the information that she's relaying to you, or you begin to feel guilty about something, or you begin to feel dread, like, oh, I'm gonna have to do that now, right? I mean, we have, I, sometimes we come into information, like, eh, it's a little disturbing, a little unsettling, right? The question is, when that happens, uh, given this mental disturbance, what should your mind's primary goal be? Should it be to, to begin to figure out, okay, what's what here? What's true and what should I do? Or is your mind's objective, make that bad feeling go away? Being disturbed, that doesn't feel good. I don't like that, right? In other words, should you use your mind to feel better or to know more? Is the mind an irritant to be soothed? As soon as it's agitated, apply an analgesic, right? With thinking to serve essentially as a painkiller or a calmer, you know, making you calm? Is, is thinking just to reduce the inflammation, to numb the pain or lessen the upset? Or is thinking what you do to figure things out, to find out what's what on an issue, uh, you know, to find out what's what on an issue. And again, ultimately what you should do, but it's a tool of discovery. I mean, that's the second suggestion there, right? So 
Being rational means using your mind to know, to learn things, because that's the way we need to use our minds to sustain our lives. Reason is man's fundamental means of cognition, not of emotional tuning. So, to wrap up part four. The fudging of reason and faith is seductive, I think, because it seems harmless. And it seems animated by an apparent benevolence, the wish for everybody to get along. The banality of evasion. It looks so innocent, but it's actually destructive. Destructive of knowledge and of everything that we build on knowledge. It's destructive because existence exists. A is A. You can't get crops by rain dances. You can't dissolve tumors by reciting the rosary. You can't gain knowledge or solve problems in any realm by looking away, evasion. A commitment to reason entails the resolution, I will go eyeball to eyeball with reality. And I won't flinch. Because I realize that looking away doesn't change what's real, and wishing doesn't make things so. So I won't pretend that faith answers any questions. Conclusion. We're all familiar with wishful thinking. You've heard of that. Perhaps occasionally you found yourself like, oh, I think that's wishful thinking, Tara, right? But we catch ourselves in it, right? Or we notice and, and we point out to friends, gee, regard now, I think you're, you know, that's a little wishful thinking there. Well, faith is wishful thinking. It reflects the attitude. Faith reflects the attitude. I don't need to find out to use evidence and logic as my path to understanding. I can just believe. But we need to recognize that adopting that as policy is every bit as dangerous as wishful driving would be. I mean, when you're driving, when you get behind the seat of a, of a no, you, get, you get behind the wheel, whatever you do, right? Uh, you look. Before you change lanes or revert, like you, you look, you check your mirrors, you turn your head, you do things to try to make sure you're getting it right, right? To ignore what's going on around you, wishful driving, would be idiotic. It would be suicidal. That's how stupid it is to engage in wishful thinking. Reason is an absolute, which means that we must be purists in our practice of it. Fudging difference, the difference between faith and reason may seem no big deal. You know, it's just ideas. It doesn't matter. Until the body bags start piling up outside the hospitals in the early months of COVID because the government officials didn't pay enough attention to the evidence that we've got a serious problem here, uh, you know, gaining inroads in our country, as so many countries found. Right? It doesn't seem a big deal until measles kills children who weren't vaccinated because their parents preyed on it. Where we cheat on reason, suffering follows. It won't always be immediate, it won't always make the headline news or be conspicuous in that moment, but human beings cannot flourish by pretending that reality is other than it is. If you love life, love reason. 
Because reason is the way to know life, to understand the world around us, what we can do, and what we should do so that we can thrive. Thank you. So we've got a little time for questions, then we will go straight into the next session, but we've got at least 10 minutes, I think. So if there are questions, I guess the usual. Okay, um, so I was wondering, when judging people, can you ever separate a person's determination or their conviction towards their faith? Uh, can you separate that from the faith itself? Like. Can you respect a person's drive to how committed they are to their faith, um, even knowing that what it is that they believe yeah. is evil? Yes, I think you can distinguish and should distinguish. That is, if you're judging a person, what you want to try to find out is, why do they believe what they believe? How knowing are they in believing what they believe? I mean, so this is going to vary a lot with different individuals, in part by how old the person might be, how, how aware they are of certain issues and alternatives, how aware they should be. I mean, there's such a thing as culpable ignorance, right? It's like, well, he didn't know. Well, he should have known by the time he was 25 certain things about his alternatives. But, you know, a given doctrine could be mistaken. It could be radically mistaken. It could be evil, right? Be it a religious doctrine or any other, a political doctrine or whatever. That doesn't mean that every person who spouts that and who spouts it sincerely, has a good understanding of it, or is spouting it for reasons that make him evil. Right? One of the, I think, really important early things that you want to try to discover is, is this person evading or not? And that's not a judgment that can be made lightly or based on a little evidence on your part, right? Even in judging people, we have to be logical. We have, I mean, I shouldn't say even, but I mean, in judging any issue, you want to go by the evidence and not jump to hasty conclusions of, oh, well, all those Catholics or all those Mormons or whatever it might be. So that's a quick, I'll, to, in the interest of trying to get to a few questions, I'm going to keep things brief, but thank you. Good question. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, my question is on possible auxiliary uh, uses of, for example, uh, emotions combined with reasoning, if you agree that they're a valid auxiliary uh, use. If for I'm example, sorry, I'm having that. Auxiliary uh, use of emotions in, uh, in thinking and reasoning. I want to give an example and uh, hear your thoughts on it. And that is a line of thought. I'm following a line of uh, reasoning and I feel that Okay, this is getting scary. One thing that uh, I want to kind of contrast about, not to adjust the line of thought to, okay, now it's not scary, but rather stop, find out if there is something that's, that I'm missing, that I've missed from the context that might have kind of prompted this, uh, the fear, and see if it actually is relevant to the reasoning. If it is, I adjust my reasoning. If it's not, I dismiss it and follow the reasoning. Okay. That kind of uh, scenario or interplay. Okay. Now, again, I, I, honest, I, I didn't hear everything clearly, but let me, get, I think I understood the gist of the question, but correct me if I didn't. Um, sometimes when you notice your emotions and thinking about something such as a fear or that's scary or something, 
it can be useful. I'm not sure if this is what you're saying, or, but I think this is what you're suggesting. It can be useful to them, like, oh, why, why am I getting scared? Or why am I starting to get uncomfortable? Like asking yourself that kind of question is extremely valuable. So if, if that's what you're suggesting, oh, I agree completely, that is. When you have emotions and, you know, about all sorts of things, but in this kind of case, you know, if it, if it seems to be getting in the way of your, no, you know, I wanted to figure out the answer to this particular political question or something. When you notice the fears or the, intimo, uh, the emotions that might be getting in the way, it's good, to note, it, it's good to notice them and to question them. That doesn't mean you always have to do it in that moment. But for instance, if you're reflecting on some issue, maybe over time, like over several days, you're trying to make a decision or something about something, you want to pay attention to all the evidence. And evidence of how well you're thinking about something, such as might be signaled through, now you're starting to feel guilty or you're starting to feel dread. Like, oh, if what, she's, if what he's saying to me is true, I'm going to have to have that unpleasant conversation uh, with that person. I don't want to do that. Oh, but Tara, you don't want to do that. That doesn't mean there's good reason not to do it. There might be good reason to do it, right? So in general, I'm a big fan of introspecting about our emotions, among other things, because they can all, you know, really often help you break down a problem or see, ooh, if you go that route, now you are just putting the emotion, the desire above what's what. So if that, I think, yeah. I hope that's good. Okay, good. We love introspecting, but it's got to, you know, it's got to be honest and you can't rush it all the time, but yeah. Okay. I was wondering about the place of intuition between reason and faith, because I think many scientists, doctors use their intuition. Uh, they don't really understand all the evidences that they see, but based on their expertise, they can understand the solution. Artists casting as someone, they have faith in this person, and they can't really specify why they think he will be good at the, for this role, but the, the, it's not completely like fate, as you mentioned it, but it does based on feelings and like a gut well, feeling. Well, okay. No, that's a really interesting question because it's a phenomenon that I think we face in a lot of areas. That is, people with a certain experience in particular, be it in medicine, as you were saying, or just, you know, you've been a manager at a company for a certain number of years and you're evaluating people constantly, or not just people, but we will use these phrases of you just got to go by your gut at some point. And sometimes that seems reasonable. And sometimes it may be reasonable. But we have to be very careful about exactly what we mean by, oh, it's just a matter of intuition. Or you're going by your gut. The fact that you can't always articulate exactly what you're picking up on about someone doesn't mean that you're not picking up on certain qualities that, you know, their lack of eye contact or something like that might be causing uh, I lost where I started that sentence. But the fact that you can't articulate it all doesn't mean, oh, you, you know, this is just blind faith on your part, right? It's not pure reason as well. I'm sorry? But it's not pure reason and logic, well, as you said, consciously. It's not, okay. It's not, our, at the least, I would say, it's not yet fully identified, articulated reason. I mean, also, like, when people say, I'm going by my gut or you should go by your intuition, sometimes they are being irrational. All right, but I, but I guess the broader point is simply that sometimes I think when we use those terms, what we're actually referring to is not yet fully identified evidence. Now, we should be careful 
and, you know, as much as possible, try to identify, well, why am I getting that impression? Why do I have such a strong feeling of suspicion about that guy? And, you know, my instincts, so to speak, instincts, they may be right. Why are they right? Like, if I think they're really right here, what is it? Try to identify, Tara, what is it about him that's making, like, what is it? So, you know, a lot of reasoning is slowing ourselves down. Um, anyway, so that's all I'll say for now on that. But it's an interesting question because, well, it's an interesting question. Thank you. But, okay. So my mom is 91, and there's certain things that I judge that I, I should admit that are not of use to her. That you shouldn't have, or? That I, that are, that I can admit from telling her about her sister, about myself, about You're my, saying you, you don't tell her certain things anymore? Yes. I take out certain things, like if I get sick with certain, or something happens, or something with my sis, her sister, because I don't see that, I judge that there's no value to her at her age, and she'll get upset, and she has short memory. So I judge you know, that it's not valuable to certain information to give to her. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say on that exactly, uh, but I hear you, and I sympathize, and I don't, I don't think there's some, like, duty to always tell the truth to all people under all circumstances, right? We don't usually think so much about, you know, oh, the elderly, let's say, and what they need to know and so on. Um, so, I mean, there's always that issue of the context in which it can make sense to say certain things or share certain information or be truthful as part of what you're really bringing up more than just the broader um, be rational. But... There are things, I mean, at different stages of life there and just different circumstances when a person is dying, I mean, even if they're not really right. old, you know, they're really in very delicate physical condition or very delicate mental condition, right? Well, it's not, oh, you just treat him like a normal guy. You know, he's 25 years old. He ought to know better. And I'm just going to give him all the information and have all the usual demands on him. No, I mean, reason must be sensitive to the context, the propriety of the governing values and how to best promote those values. So mm -hmm. as a person whose mother is 93 and four and who does something, sometimes think and, and it's like, I'm not even going to tell her about this. She's going to get too upset. She's going to not, it's it. So I hear you. We can talk more later. Okay. Probably time for one or two more. Yes. Um, I had a question about in the case of something I've seen multiple times of a person who is very religious, but it doesn't impact all aspects of their lives. Like they are very intelligent, very rational when it comes to career for me, like with school. And I was wondering when is it, or is it at all okay to compartmentalize in the way that you deal with a person? When does that become a sanction of evil? And is it okay to, to allow it? Um, interesting question again. Um, so I was starting, as you were asking the question, to think, well, it's never okay to compartmentalize. But I think what you mean is, is it okay for me to say, you know, he's a jerk when it comes to, you know, his faith in certain political creeds or religious creeds, but he's really good and sensible and rational in leading his life in these, in these other ways. Well, 
I mean, you need to know that about a person. And you need to, I mean, one of the, part of the gist of today is like, yeah, these little pockets of, these little pockets of unread, it's like, they undo the benefit of that reason up to a certain point. Except that I got to believe in this God, or I have to stay with the family on this. It's like, no, you don't. And to the extent that you, uh, you keep that as one of your competing or multiple methods for proceeding, you're undercutting yourself and your, your own practice of reason and consistently deepening your use of reason and so on. Um, this also brings up, again, the issue of judging other people and dealing with the other people, right? But that's... Got, there's no good to be gained from the irrational. Ultimately, for that person himself, and for you, to the extent that you, you know, I mean, we don't always have choices about some of the people we work with and that kind of thing, but if this is a person you're really getting to know and care about, you want to point out, it's like, that's a real problem. Again, when they're ready for it, and, you know, how young the person is or how new they are to really thinking about things. But I think it's... Um, it's important to be honest about where you disagree with a person and where you think a person is seriously doing something harmful to himself. And, it, you know, it's not just people who talk about suicide. It's people who talk about religion in certain ways who are doing things really bad for themselves. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't mean compartmentalize, but I think you got it. You got what I was trying to say. So thank you. But, I mean, it's also, it's not like, well, you know, if you're, and this is a little bit like one of the earlier questions, I think, you know, if you're a man of faith, then I can't have anything to do. I need to find out why. And I mean, I was a man of faith. Uh, I used to make a good Lent. I used to make a really mean Lent. And now I just take the chocolate on Easter. So you see, uh, objectivism really, yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm glad somebody knew that I was very religious, but also thought, I think you'd like the fountainhead. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to einran.org.